When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deck, and most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. How are we doing, guys? Everybody got their uh, kidneys, their important bits still attached within or uh, adjacent to them? God, I hope so. As far as I can tell, you know, I really just kind of push in and I feel like it's there. Did you all ever have your appendix taken out or your tonsils removed? I have never had any form of invasive surgery at all, and it frankly terrifies me. Same, actually. No wisdom teeth? No. No. I've been putting that off, actually. They've told me for years that I need to get them out. Mm -hmm. Haven't done it yet because it freaks me out. Mm. I think maybe the uh, the emotional distress beforehand and, and going right in is, is probably worse. You think so? Yeah. They should yeah. just suck it up and be a man and do it. Well, I don't know. Suck it up. It's, maybe you'll feel better. Maybe not. It's one of those things you can put off until your mouth starts hurting. Also right? true. <laughs> you've, you've had a, like at least one thing, right, where mm-hmm. you've had to go under. Mm-hmm. Do you recall it? Like what, what was it like? What was that experience like? For me? Yeah. Great. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. I've had a... I've had a number of um, 
operations that were not related to one another. And in each case, uh, things went swimmingly. And, you know, you lose time, you go under, you wake up and you're fine. Or you feel fine. You're probably still yeah. really high. Yeah. So I, I remember when I had my wisdom teeth taken out. I cannot remember which year this was. But it was definitely in the U.S. after the country was formed. And <laughs> and uh, I, thought I, was, I thought I was fine. And I didn't understand why you can't – you're not allowed to you know, operate heavy machinery or yeah. f- drive a car or fly a helicopter or whatever you're – method of transportation is. And so I thought it was fine until I walked out of the dentist's office and then stumbled and sat on the steps and thought, I am going to be here for a while. Don't they require <laughs> you to get a ride though? You just, you just they do. you didn't go for that? No, I, I lied about it. Oh, <laughs> nice. You would. Well, but it is a moment of being conscious, then uh, you're not aware of anything and then you come back all of a sudden? Well, there's a fade, I think. Okay. You know, the, the feeling of falling asleep, but it's a precipitous drop off. Yeah. So it feels like maybe you're about to doze, and then you wake up. Wow. Usually. Now, interestingly enough, uh, there are some genetic markers that show anesthesia affects people uh, in markedly uh, markedly different ways. For example, people who have the redhead gene, you and I, for example, oh Matt, uh, we, we have the potential to require more anesthesia than the average person. Okay. But I don't know. I don't know what uh, what the correlation is there. Do you have to be full redhead, or do you have to be what South Park would call a daywalker? Yeah, if you guys remember that, I do. So I am very, I am very glad to hear that um, you guys have not had terrible surgical experiences. And luckily, in this country, at least in the United States, for those who can afford to pay the tab, the surgery or the surgical environment rather is not as fatal as it once was. And it used to be an absolute abattoir. Uh, but we want to hear your weirdest, uh, your weirdest surgery experiences. Why don't we start that way? You can, yeah. you can pause the podcast at any point and call us directly. We are one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Leave a message. You get three minutes. If you can't fit it in, then that amount of time, just call back. And, as always, let us know if you do not want this to be on air. If this is just for us in Mission Control, uh, that's fine. Just be very clear about that. So we are talking about surgery today. We are talking about one of the most controversial types of surgery, which is the replacement or transplant of organs, the organ trade. <laughs> the organ trail, I think, is the worst joke we made in a previous episode about this. Here, here's the problem. Until we as a species learn how to reliably grow new organs from scratch, millions of people across the planet are dying and are going to die as they wait for viable replacement organs and donors. At least that is according to the official story. In today's show, we're exploring a dark corner of an already very murky trade, the semi-legal or completely illegal industry known to some as the red market. And we, we have some previous stuff on this. The red market uh, we got the title from this this fantastic book that looks at the semi-legal and illegal organ trade. The the red market is not is, is not related to legitimate organ transplant or donation processes. The way the legit stuff works in most countries is is the following process. Somebody opts in 
to donate an organ, usually upon their death. If you're in the U.S. and you get a driver's license, you get that question. Do you agree to be an organ donor? In some states, you get a discount if you agree to be an organ donor, right? Uh, but after, let's say, something tragic happens, someone dies in a car accident, right? Or they have a, they have a heart attack. Oh, we should mention that too. Many people have the misconception that if you sign up to be an organ donor on your driver's license, it only applies to auto accidents. It does not. You go down for any reason uh, and you've got viable organs, boom, 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 they're yeah. out. As yeah. long as you didn't explode or die of you know poison or a terrible disease. Totally. Uh, yeah. I don't know why people would think that. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I always assumed it was, you know, for all intents and purposes, these organs belong to the people. It's very strange, you know, with the idea that someone someone would say, well— my kidneys are still going to be mine because I tripped and fell or something like that. Yeah. It's strange, but maybe it's a comforting thing because our organs are very personal parts of ourselves and our identities. But this also is an important point. Today's topic is about a system of government that does not have such safeguards in place. We get to check a box on a card that says we choose to donate our organs. That is not the case with today's episode. It's certainly more complicated than that. Yeah, in some cases, just just for a full context here, in some cases, there are countries that will require you to opt out of being an organ donor. Uh, some European countries recently did that. I have no problem with that. Well, it's a it's a psychological move because it massively increases the number of people who become organ donors, not because of informed consent. It's because they didn't read the entire thing. Yeah. Which just, is weird. I just can't think of any reason why you wouldn't want to be an organ donor. For most people, it's religious. religious yeah. Yep. yeah. For most people, it's religious or, uh, you know, it goes into the method of burial or, uh, you know, what, what's Cremation, the, perhaps. Cremation, perhaps. Uh, burial at sea or, you know, you can't be embalmed, things like that. It's, it's along the same list. Got it. The red market, however, is in news much more recently now. You can even you, – you've probably seen this popping up in your news feed, whatever your news feed of choice is. Today and, while yeah. we're recording this. Yes, yes. It was on the uh, front page of Reddit today yeah. as we go in. Uh, this story takes us to the red market in the People's Republic of China. So here are the facts about China's official organ donation system. Yeah, they certainly have one of the largest transplant programs in the entire world. And a lot of that is just a factor of the number of human beings that exist within China. But we do have some numbers about estimates that come officially from the Chinese government. And these go back to 2004, this first one, right? Mm -hmm. In 2004, they estimated that over 13,000 transplants were performed. And then in 2006, they estimated that as many as 20,000 transplants had been performed. And remember, those are official estimates mm -hmm. from the government. Mm -hmm. and, th and that's way back in 2004, 2006. And you can only imagine that as population has grown over time, those numbers have risen tremendously. Well, you can see, you can see it almost doubles across two years, even officially. And that's, that's something else. You would think with uh, so many people waiting in line for an organ that the waiting time would, would be a matter of years, right? And you're sort of racing the clock of your body's decay and the availability of an organ donor of some sort. But here's the thing. The waiting time for an organ transplant in China is cartoonishly low. It is by far the lowest amount of waiting time on the planet. As of 2014, organ tourists 
O-R-G-A-N, tourist, which is a thing, reported receiving kidney transplants within days of arriving in the country. Days. You Re- can, really quickly, yeah. let's tell people what organ, uh, what organ tourists are. Just uh, sure. as simple as it is, traveling to another country to obtain an organ that you can't because you're on a waiting list perhaps in your own country or it would cost too much. There was some preventative reason that you cannot get an organ in your home country. Right. It's, the, it's, it's a subset of medical tourism because the United States has is home to quite a few medical tourists who are going out of necessity. You know, this, this country has great specialized health care for those who can afford it, but an operation that may cost tens of thousands of dollars here may cost, you know, much less just in Canada or yeah. Mexico. So, the, I mean, this problem is not reported as much as it should be in the U.S. because I think it gets wrapped up in uh, – politicized conversations, especially during election cycles, Mm -hmm. and we're sort of always in an election cycle now. But can you imagine, you need a kidney, you could wait, what, three to five years, maybe more here in the US, or you can fly to China, uh, pay, pay more maybe than you would for the kidney itself. But, you know, within a week or two, your your parts have been replaced, like the $6 million man. There was a report produced by these researchers, David Mattis and David Kilgore, which cited the China International Transplantation Assistance Center as saying, again, this is the actual official source, quote, it may only take one week to find the suitable donor, the maximum time being one month. Whoa. Again, let's compare that to other countries. Okay. So to do that, uh, we have to look at the median waiting times for an organ transplantation uh, in somewhere like Australia, which is, for example, six months to four years. Canada, you're looking at six years. That's as of 2011. And in the UK, it's three years. China um, swears up and down that it sticks to these international standards, these medical standards that require organ donations to be done by consent and without any um, user's financial charges. And so on the surface, that seems legit, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's a lot more at play here. On the first glance, people are saving lives. It's hard to argue that that's a bad thing. Uh, But let's, let's, let's slow our roll a little bit real quick and let's look at where this extraordinary speed comes from. It ain't for free. Right, right. And I love that you're pointing out the the idea of informed consent and not having financial charges. Longtime listeners will remember we looked at the uh, just repugnant practice of some some unethical organ procurers in the Indian subcontinent where they'll pay somebody, what, the equivalent of a couple hundred bucks to take their kidney – and then they'll jack up the price to thousands and thousands. Uh, you can see entire villages of people who all have the same identical scar on their left or right side. So if you find someone who is in dire financial straits and you offer them a little bit of cash, it's not really informed consent. And as you said, there is a price to this extraordinary speed. First, as, as you pointed out, Matt, the official numbers from the government do not match with the estimates from international organizations. A study in the journal Clinical Transplantation said that only 4% of organ transplant experts believed procurement processes in China were ethically sound. So they asked, do you think the government is telling you the truth about this? Do you think they're on the up and up? And 4% of people said, yeah, sure, I don't know. 
I wonder if that this is just my if it was it's like style. it's like weird skeptical anti skeptical thing where it's yeah. like I wonder how many of those people are just like why well, I, I, there's no way for me to tell so I can't say yes. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it goes back to that old uh, expression about you know products. For example, you can have something fast, you can have something cheap, you can have something good. You can have two of them at the same time, but you definitely can't have all three of them at the same time. And this Chinese system seems to purport that you get all three, and that is when you're being sold a bill of goods typically, right? I always wonder where that statement comes from. I was thinking about that earlier. I haven't looked it up yet, but when someone sold a bill of goods, what does that mean? We This has come up before, and I feel like we found out the answer, but now I think I think what it had to do with like a bill of goods is a, like a shipping list of like stuff that would be in the hull of a ship, and I think sometimes if you're sold a bill of goods, it implies that you're being sold the promise of something, but not the thing itself. There we go. Well put. Okay. That makes sense. So there's another factor here. The World Health Organization, or WHO, which is, again, the coolest initialism out there, has figures suggesting that around 10% of transplants in this country occurred via transplant tourism, in at least in 2005. And China was the leading destination for patients out of all the other countries in the world. Second, when health officials in China launched a national donation system in 2009, the government itself reported that two-thirds of organ donors could be traced to one demographic and one demographic alone, prisoners who were executed in the Chinese incarceration system. And that's the official number. That's the official number. It's a little bit north of 65%. And we must keep in mind, again, international experts have been claiming these numbers are ginned up and lowballed for years. The authorities had previously acknowledged that corneas, kidneys, and other body parts come from criminals and that they had been successfully transplanted. But this was the first official acknowledgement of the extent of this practice. When they said, oh, well, we said sometimes in the 1970s. They didn't admit it in the 70s. It was happening in the 70s, but it wasn't admitted to. Uh, They said, when we said sometimes, we meant two-thirds of the time, which is still not all the time. So it's sometimes. But if when you're saying two-thirds of even the official numbers that are lowballed, you're talking thousands of people. And here's why they created the system. They were hoping that this new plan would tackle the thriving black market in body parts and encourage voluntary donation, which, you know, as we mentioned, it's, it remains far below demand in the country, uh, partially due to social taboos and mores and partially due to some religious reasons. Interesting. So it is largely designed for this uh, medical tourism. It's, this system is officially supposed to encourage more people to be donors but the system, the way it functions, yes, does appear. It is very – it's a very long reach. It's a walk around a long block to say that this is not purposely designed for organ tourism. We're going to get deeper into the, the deets behind that. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we will. So strap in, folks. Hold your kidneys, your heart, your corneas, your liver close. Because we're going in. The state newspaper, China Daily, said about one million people needed transplants each year, but only one percent received them. And at the time, the vice minister for health in China, Huang Jifu, said transplants, this is a quote, transplants should not be a privilege for the rich. And uh, he said that 
there were these, you know, whenever a condemned prisoner was going to be donating their organ, there was written consent that was required to be taken from them or, or uh, acquired by, from them. And uh, he added that whoosh, whoosh, they were definitely not a proper source for organ transplants. Whoosh, whoosh. So that's interesting. Uh, the, the vice minister for health in China saying that that the prisoners condemned to death prisoners were not a proper source for organ transplants. He also ended up telling a, a newspaper outlet or a, you know, a media outlet, China Daily, that some hospitals actually ignored the rules because of the high profits that they could acquire by doing things a different way, mm-hmm. right? And the newspaper said that there were exper- experts there that estimated that more than 65% of donors were actually criminals who had received the death penalty. So again, the two-thirds number pops up in a couple of different sources. What's interesting is that years earlier, the government ruled that organs from executed prisoners would only be given to family members and that living donors could only give body parts to relatives or to those with whom they shared a, quote, emotional connection. That sounds like – Well, think about like you have a a relative uh or something that – well, this is – let me compare it this way. You have an in-law maybe and – you unlike all the stereotypical jokes, you love your father-in-law or your mother-in-law, and you're a donor match. So you say, "I want to give them my kidney." And they say, "You're not. They're not. Kind, they're not really a biological oh, family member." Oh, I see. You like, can you can claim the you can you get to define the emotional connection. Yeah, yeah. One would be able to. So, I am going to give Ben my kidney because I love him. Thank you, thank Aww. you. And uh, that's that's true, Noel. You have a you have a good heart. I, I don't know where you got it. You from. You can't have it though. I don't want it. No, okay. I'm talking about the other one. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> But how are those kidneys doing? Are they okay? I don't know, man. They're a little – I think I've gummed them up a little bit. (laughs) Wrote hard and put away wet. Uh, Yeah, it's it's true. Emotional connection gives you some leeway, Mm -hmm. you know, some ownership over where you want your body parts to go in theory. The percentage of transplants from living donors has risen from 15% in 2006 to 40% in 2009. Uh, and it seems to continue ticking up, which is a problem. According to uh, Professor Chen Zhonghua in the Institute of Organ Transplantation at Tongji Hospital, only 130 people on the mainland of China, which has a population of 1.3 billion again, had signed up to donate their organs after they died. Only 130 out of more than a billion. That's how few people that's, – that's how um, passionate people are about keeping their organs after death. And to be fair though, that was in 2003, um, fairly early on in, in that process or at least earlier. Right, right. So the numbers today are, are kind of tricky. You can find sources that will – that's the thing. It's tough to find official sources that will say numbers that transparently. So yeah. we have to rely upon – in-country experts or people with experience, which means that we're also we're also possibly reading their agenda. There right? you go. Which it's goes – Aren't goes we always else. though? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you're right. So these stories of foreigners traveling to China just for organ transplants were, were rife. They were rumors for a long time. But when China Daily was reporting on this, they added a little bit more fuel to the fire and they said that there was an entire industry of middlemen who specialized in faking documents to evade the law. And faking a document could be everything from 
your official purpose to China, if you want to hide that fact, to a fake consent form. And they say, okay, well, you know, this person just signed this document. Then uh, they, they said it's fine. They said you're a loved one. They said you have an emotional connection. At the time, citizens could pay up to 200,000 yuan uh, for a kidney. That was a little under 20,000 pounds. So excess of, excess of 24, 25K for a kidney in the U.S. At those prices, right? Yeah. U.S. dollars. And then we have a new development. You mentioned earlier, Matt, Huang Jifu, the former minister. In February of 2017, he said he was retired. He said that from January 1st, 2015, organ donation from voluntary civilian organ donors has become the only legitimate source of transplantation. And people interpreted this as a ban on the use of organs from executed prisoners. So no more. Yeah. He said the he said it's the only legitimate source. <laughs> right. It's like the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So the piece isn't, is, isn't he the guy that also said that it shouldn't be a privilege just for the rich? Yes. Same mm-hmm. guy. So here's the thing. I mean, you can say stuff like that all day long and you can try to put safeguards in place, but when it comes to something so scarce and anything that, that you know thrives on scarcity, it's always going to become a market like that that favors the rich because that's just how it is. That's how people work. That's how money works and these systems work. So it's one thing for him to say that, but how can you really, you know, put an end to to that human need of like, well, I have more money, therefore I deserve to get better treatment. I deserve to get like first in line or whatever. To you live. Know? To live. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Economy is the dominant uh, religious paradigm of this age. And these are the effects that happen when, you know, you have zealous people participating in a religion. If you think the economy is not a religion, I would love to hear your argument why. Tell me why they differ. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, I'm not going to say it's a hill I'll die on, but we've asked this question before and there are – there aren't that many differences, and this is not a ding on religion. It's not a ding on an economy, but it, or the belief that things should be determined by uh, these sorts of economic systems. But it's, I don't know. we're all playing this kind of nice game when we say that they're different. It's sort of like the old thing about how ridiculous uh, it will look to future historians when we think about driving on the interstate. You know, we were in these death machines that went in excess of 80 miles an hour. How did you not hit each other? How did you not kill each other? We did all the time. Yeah, but but we, there were lines. We had these this honor system <laughs> yeah. of mm-hmm. painted lines. Mm-hmm. Oh, did the lines stop you? No, no. You just you kind of agreed that these other strangers piloting their own death machines would also adhere to the honor system of the lines. Jeez, Ben, when you put it like that, it makes me really scared to drive. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody follows the honor system. I don't know if you guys have been driving around in Atlanta. Holy Lord. Yeah. And, you know, that same idea applies to this. Nobody followed this honor system either, did they? Right, right. The money gets too good. The pieces come together. So with just this high-level look, we can already see some issues. The official government statements are not jibing with statements from NGOs and other international institutions. We can also see, as you pointed out, Noel, the – huge economic incentive for cheating the system. And then there's another question, where exactly are all these organs coming from? Most importantly, what if the government of China never stopped 
getting organs from executed prisoners. Even more disturbingly, what if the government of China is no longer waiting for these prisoners to die? Oh, guess what? Mm. It's time for a sponsor break after that. You monsters. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. That's right. That's right, conspiracy realists. You did not mishear us. We are talking about on-demand executions. Rumors about executions for the express purposes of harvesting organs have dogged the Chinese government for decades. 
decades and decades, uh, back to I think the earliest reports are in the 1970s. But they existed for a long time on the fringe of mainstream debate. This recently changed. An independent tribunal seated in London was assembled to investigate the truth, if any, about this countrywide conspiracy to execute people and harvest their organs. It's called the Independent Tribunal Enforced Organ Harvesting from Prisoners of Conscience in China, and it reached some ugly, ugly conclusions. We do have to say this is technically an NGO, a non-governmental organization. That's one of the main objections China has with it. So there was an interim judgment that was released in December of 2018 that stated that beyond a doubt, uh, forced Oregon harvesting from prisoners has taken place, quote, on a substantial scale by state-supported or approved organizations and individuals. And then it further uh, noted that the findings were indicative of essentially genocide, um, though it was not clear enough to make a positive ruling. Right. And so some people may say genocide, guys. Isn't that a bit alarmist? Let's let's remember what genocide is. Genocide is the eradication of a large group of people, especially from a particular ethnic group or a nation or in some cases a, a religion. A religion, mm-hmm. right. So this is – We don't a, have any of that here though, do we, Ben? I mean we, I, don't, I don't see any of those. Oh, wait. Mm, we do, don't we? Which one? The, one of those groups is involved here. Oh, yes, yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I thought you meant here is in the U.S. No, no, I just meant like, you know, I mean, it sounds to me like they're saying genocide. That's a real buzzy term. We need a little bit more, you know, proof that this is happening. Like in order, we need like a a target of said genocide. Right, the Falun Gong. Yeah, so the Falun Gong, which you have probably heard about before on our show or in any international news, is it, it translates, the title translates to Dharma Wheel Practice or Law Wheel Practice. It's a Chinese spiritual movement that combines Qigong and meditation with this moral philosophy. So it's kind of like a religion. Yeah. It's safe to say most people, when they hear about it, they would interpret it as a religion because the ultimate goal is the idea of enlightenment on a spiritual level. It was started in 1992, so it's very, it's very young. Initially, the Chinese officials and the, the Communist Party thought that, you know, they supported it, right? But because of its size and because of its independence from the state and its – emphasis on spiritual teaching, it was seen as something like, that's a good word, a possible security risk or well, yeah. a secessionist movement maybe. And it was officially in, at several times throughout history now, it's been labeled as a cult, an mm-hmm. evil cult, mm-hmm. a dangerous group, like all these things by, by the Chinese government. Well, have you guys ever seen the Shen Yun uh, posters and billboards right. and ads that are like everywhere? Yeah. It's this aerial acrobat Chinese, uh, Chinese organization. Yeah. Well, it's, no, it's, a, it's like a traveling show or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they practice Falun Gong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's become a joke. Like that show is so prevalent. Any city you're in, you're going to see them on bill- yeah. bulletin boards yeah. and, you know, buses and everything. It's like a very popular show. But yes, they are practitioners of Falun Gong. Interesting. And in 2006, official allegations emerged that a large number of Falun Gong practitioners have been killed to supply the organ transplant industry in China. Uh, and these came from those uh, those earlier uh, writers we had mentioned, David Kilgore, former Canadian Secretary of State, and David Matas, who's a human rights lawyer. The problem, of course, spoiler alert, China denies all of this and 
recently, this tribunal, after, after their, uh, their statement in December of 2018, in 2019, the tribunal concluded that the killing of detainees in China for organ transplants hasn't stopped. It is continuing. And though Falun Gong detainees might not be the only source of these illegal organ harvesting operations, they are one of the primary sources. And in a unanimous determination – just this year, they said that the evidence clearly indicated this forced organ harvesting, again, killing people not because of what they did to land in jail, but killing people because there's a new order in for a hot off the, the cadaver kidney, right? And they said this had taken place for at least two decades. They said they were certain the Falun Gong group was a source, probably the principal source of these organs. According to a guy named Sir Jeffrey Nice, who chaired the tribunal, he's a QC, the conclusion shows that very many people have died indescribably hideous deaths for no reason, that more may suffer in similar ways, and that all of us live on a planet where extreme wickedness may be found in the power of those, for the time being, running a country with one of the oldest civilizations known to modern man continues to say there is no evidence of the practice having been stopped and the tribunal is satisfied that it is continuing. Oh, really? They're satisfied mm -hmm. that it's continuing? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's British, <laughs> we, uh, British language. We understand. But yeah, so they said, they said this is not a theory, right? This is not a rumor. This is not a couple of isolated cases from the 1990s. This is happening and it's uh, like we we can we can say it's indicative of genocide even if we can't conclusively say it's genocide because that's sort of a United Nations determination a lot of times. Yeah. But they said you're killing people. Yeah. And there there are more details to to this situation and it gets darker and we're going to cover that right after another word from our sponsor. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Snag a Job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's that creepy line from Willy Wonka, the Gene Wilder version, where it gets really dark? Come with me. Oh no, but that's just too. What's the? There's, There's no, no earthly way of knowing where this is going. Yes, this is this is that part. This is where we go deeper into the the tunnel here. Uh, because although China, again, dismisses these claims as politically motivated and untrue, even calling them propaganda, essentially, uh, we know that there, uh, there are numerous examples of what appears to be firsthand testimony from both Falun Gong members and Uyghur inmates in the, in the concentration camps in Western China. Uyghur being a religious group and also a, like a race, right? Uh, yeah, they're a uh, ethnic minority yes. in China. Mm-hmm. The majority, uh, the ethnic majority in China would be the Han. The Uyghur are uh, Muslim and practicing Muslims. They've been in these so-called education or re-education camps. The people who are pro-Uyghur activists will say that the Han are forcibly assimilating them or trying to wipe out their culture by putting them in these camps and uh, making them reject their religious – their long-held religious practices. If you want to learn more about that, we have an entire episode on modern-day concentration camps. I believe it's called something similar to that. You can learn about that right now. And I actually I stumbled upon an article on news.com.au, an Australian uh, site, that went into some of the conditions in some of these camps. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned to Ben uh, and Matt that I'd watched a couple of these videos, and Ben was surprised that some of the folks that gave their accounts were actually left alive because that is pretty uncommon, right? Relatively so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and you know, and it, I'm not saying that this is completely without uh, you know questionability, but there are some perspectives of some folks that describe having uh, blood forcibly drawn from their arms and earlobes, and the idea is that it was uh, to check the viability of their organs. They were beaten, but then that one gentleman who uh, seems like he was kind of railroaded because he described them kind of like claiming to have found Falun Gong materials on his computer, um, but he. 
he did not purport to have been a member. And so it almost feels like this is like a thing they can use on people, mm. you know, to like say, oh, you're an you know, enemy of the state because we found these materials or whatever. I would always wow. be suspicious uh, if someone – is caught because of something "quote unquote" found on their computer. Yeah, hundred percent. Very easy so to easy stuff. to yeah. so easy to plan. And um, stories like that, where then eventually, uh, after you know beatings, where one gentleman overheard somebody a guard saying, "Be careful not to damage his organs," you know, but like really, really brutal beatings, um, and doctors not speaking to the individuals, they would draw blood from them without saying, you know, with repeated questions as to what they're doing, why they're doing it, they wouldn't answer. Um, and yeah, it's like basically these forced labor camps where people are pulled out of line and kind of like taken to these uh, these medical facilities. And one person in particular that, you know, had a very similar or, you know, the same experience was a woman named Jennifer Zhang who was a Falun Gong activist. She was imprisoned for only about a year in a labor camp for women only uh, and and she has this quote that she, she that she gave to The Guardian. I'm just going to read this. It says, on the day we were transferred to the labor camp, we were taken to a medical facility where we underwent physical checkups. We were interrogated about what diseases we had, and I told them I had hepatitis. The second time, after about a month in the camp, everyone was handcuffed and put into a van and taken to a huge hospital. That was a far more thorough physical checkup. We were given x-rays. On the third occasion in the camp, they were drawing blood from us. We were all told to line up in the corridor and the tests were given. So it really does paint a picture of um, when you're inside this labor camp as a, you know, a prisoner essentially – your health is very important to the people who are keeping you there. And that is, you know, over all the episodes that we've mm-hmm. done on, you know, we just did one on uh, on prison health care. And while this isn't the same thing, we're in a different country, we're under different circumstances, but generally – Check that that number of checkups and monitoring of health in a prison system. I would say is not um, standard. No, not no. at all. No, and I mean not unless something really dire happens and then you're admitted. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's usually they don't just say, "Hey, how are you doing? Can we check up on you and make sure that you're feeling okay?" You know? Yeah. No. So here's the tricky part too. According to this tribunal's estimates. As many as 90,000 transplant operations are being conducted a year uh, out of this country, and that is a much, much higher figure than that given by official government sources in China. But all of this evidence, technically speaking, all of these eyewitness accounts, all of the all of the testimony of former surgeons or soldiers, it's still legally is circumstantial and no one has – there's a good article about this in New Scientist. No one has been able to directly observe or prove that these transplant organs are still being sourced from prisoners even if we have soldiers claiming that they've seen live organ harvesting. There's no tape of this. You know what I mean? There's no incontrovertible video proof and now – The Chinese embassy has commented on these claims in a fairly categorical manner. As quoted in The Guardian, the embassy said, The Chinese government will always follow the World Health Organization's guiding principles on human organ transplant and has strengthened its management on organ transplant in recent years. On March 21, 2007, the Chinese State Council enacted the regulation on human organ transplant, providing that human organ donation must be done voluntarily 
and gratis, free of charge. We hope that the British people will not be misled by rumors because there's this uh, there's this movement now in the United Kingdom to ban people from traveling to China for the purposes of medical tourism. That's how that's how big the concern has become. Wow. Well, then let's. So we already know that this is a big deal, right? And we we don't really have, as you said, Ben, any kind of incontrovertible video evidence of this just occurring at a labor camp over and over, even one time. If we did, then we could come right out and say that. But we do have testimony of at least one person that we found uh, who is said to have taken part in taking organs out of a person who was still alive, who had just been shot by authorities of some sort. And he was a he was a medical professional, right? That's correct. So let's let's go to July 2017. Uh, go let's go to uh, Ireland, where the Senate was meeting. They were meeting with the Joint Committee on Foreign Affairs and Trade and Defense, and they were hearing evidence from experts about specifically the organ harvesting or the alleged organ harvesting that was going on in China. And there's a man named Dr. Enver Toti. I believe that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, he was giving testimony about how he was, quote, led to perform organ harvesting on a civilian in China. And this was early on in his medical career. It was 1995. He said that there were two chief surgeons who told him to assemble a team. This is he's, – he's just being told this. Assemble a team for the largest possible surgery the following morning. So, you know, again, it's early in his career. Uh, he's being told this by people who work for the government, uh, essentially in the medical system. Um, he ends up get, you know, gathering a team. They're brought outside of a hospital and they're told to wait for the gunshots. This is what he, he's giving testimony. You can watch a video of him giving this testimony. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy to, to, to listen to it because this is what he says then. After gunshots were heard, we rushed in. An armed officer directed us to the far right corner where I can see a civilian clothed man lying on the ground with a single bullet wound to his right chest. My chief surgeons ordered and guided me to extract the liver and the two kidneys. The man was alive. He tried to resist my scalpel cut but was too weak to avoid my action. There was bleeding. He was still alive. And this – yeah. And, you know, in this article where you can find this and during this uh, – uh, this committee hearing, as as Dr. Toady is giving this, he's saying every time I tell this story, it feels like a confession. And then he goes on to talk about how he felt like he was just in that moment and in his career, he felt like he was carrying out his duty for his country and he was going to, quote, eliminate the enemy of the state. Right. His story is fascinating. So Dr. Enver Toady is 57 now. He's an Uber driver working in the UK. Uh, but he was he was formerly a surgeon and he was working in Romchi in 1995 in northwest China when his boss has asked him, quote, do you want to do something wild? Uh, he was a young doctor at the time. He said yes, and they drove him to the Western Mountain Execution Grounds. He saw around 15 bodies on the mountainside, all of which had been shot in the head. So this may be a different thing. I think this is a whole, yeah, different. Because the, the one we just described, the guy was shot in the once in the right side of his chest, right, mm-hmm. avoiding the heart. Notice that. Uh, and when he, when he was there, he was ordered to cut deep and work fast on a victim that he claimed had not been anesthetized and who had been shot in the chest. So it's the same. It's the same guy. Uh, and this guy, 
like he still took organs out of the people who had been shot in the head, but the the guy who was uh, shot in the chest, uh, he knew he knew he was still alive because he was struggling, and there was still blood coming out of the cut, which meant the heart was still pumping, and he was ordered to remove the liver, both kidneys, sew the body back up, and quote, remember that today nothing happened. So he has he still has PTSD from this and dedicates his life to campaigning for awareness of the practice. That's that's his that's his statement. And that's where we are today with this. Make no mistake. China is home to a massive organ trade. That's not in question. The question here is whether or not this trade is legal. What is the provenance of these organs? What is the destination? What is the economic uh, fuel for this engine? Regardless of which side you ask, you are going to find a conspiracy theory. On one side, you'll find the Chinese government and officials alleging a conspiracy on the part of other nations, attempting to discredit it, to attack it and vilify it on the international stage. And they'll point out, this is true, they'll point out that these are NGOs often, right? Uh, on the other side – Well, and, and we yeah. know NGOs sometimes have meddled before. Absolutely. As outside organizations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's unfortunately a tale as old as modern time. On the other side, international investigations and several other countries, primarily countries in the West, allege the government of China itself is involved in a conspiracy to supply cheap organs by executing marginalized members of society and maybe even sometimes arresting them when organ demand gets high enough and they need more bodies, bodies in the cells or on the shooting grounds. To be fair, though, no government is actually monolithic and no government is uniform. So it's entirely possible that corrupt factions in the government are supporting this illegal practice while other factions fight against it. You know what I mean? Someone – there might be a, a cabal of people in northwestern China who are making money on the side in an in a underground operation like the, the people in charge of a prison, right, are making money by just letting the bodies – disappear for a second after execution on their way to wherever their final resting place will be. And then the doctors might be making money on the side. And then the regional officials or the the local government in the area might be making money by turning a blind eye. Uh, this this is how a lot of these things work. This is This would be categorized as true crime. We cannot escape the fact that there is a profound amount of money involved uh, on on either side, the legal trade and the illegal trade. And so now we have to ask, which side do you believe and why? Propaganda is a huge business too. Uh, it's you would you might be surprised, uh, but it's it's similar to the organ trade in that there's a there are lives on the line, just not as directly. And it's just called public relations now. It's just called public relations now. So it, it is completely possible for some stories to be circulated, especially when there's a language barrier mm. uh, or state control of media, and for those stories to appear realistic, but then later turn out to be propaganda, like that Nurse Naraya story, right? Infamous. Which is pretty much made up about the uh, children being pulled out of incubators or like the the stories that Chosun Ilbo will run sometimes that are anti-DPRK. And let me be very clear, I am not defending that country. I'm just saying that propaganda exists. Yes. So do you think this is propaganda? Do you think this is a, uh, a system of murder to sell organs? Or 
Is it something in between? Is it a few bad actors? Or is it something that is just growing now and has yeah. been growing, something that will continue across the planet as resources continue to get scarce and humans uh, continue to be less and less valued? I will tell you one thing. Hmm. I, do, I can't say that I fully believe that this is happening um, just because, like you said, Ben, early, early on in this, the numbers are so opaque. We know so very little. It, that does lead my conspiratorial brain or that side of me to say, well, they're probably hiding something. But I, I have a hard time fully believing it. But what I, what I can say is that it terrifies me that a lot of human beings these days are walking around giving all of their health information to some third-party app or something on their phone. Or we're all, you know, we're all tracking our biometrics or many of us are, even if we don't even realize it. In the same way that these prisoners are being checked up on all the time to make sure their their blood is good, to make sure their organs are functioning correctly. In a similar way, we're kind of doing the same thing, but we're collecting it for some corporation out there hmm. that's going to be – to have all of our information at some point when when the people with the money need our organs. You know what I'm saying, guys? Jeez, Matt. <laughs> that's why. Jeez. That's why you have to party. Gra- gather you rosebuds while you may. Just drink as much as possible. Make yeah. sure that liver is not ready. Not Burn ready. the village to save the village. You know what I mean? Understood. Wow. That. Sorry, I did not mean for that to be that dark. Okay. That is that is a horrific quote that is attributed to the U.S. military's illegal actions uh, during the Vietnam War. There you go. Uh, and we want to hear we want to hear your opinion up on this because it touches on many many things. Uh, you can tell us about your strange experiences with surgery in your neck of the global woods. Tell us about your experience with organ transplants, and uh, also you know maybe this is a little bit too much of a door to open here. But uh, what what do you think about the current state of U.S. healthcare, which we briefly mentioned here? Do you do you feel the free market is best? Do you, do you think that uh, do you think that people should die of curable conditions and diseases due to you know financial concerns? I hope not. Well, I mean, uh, I want to. I want to hear what people think. Hey, that's good. Know. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. Uh, you can you can tell us about all this and more. Uh, most importantly, uh, you are our favorite part of this show. Specifically, you listening. So we would always love to hear topics that you think would fascinate your fellow listeners. And we have a ton of ways that you can contact us. One of the best ones is to head over to Facebook and join our special group, our private group called Here's Where It Gets Crazy. You have to say who the hosts are of the show, but if you get just, that— Just one, I think, even. Okay, well, if you get one right, that's perfect. If you mention Mission Control, Mr. Polly D over there, that's good. I just saw uh, one where somebody called Ben, Ben Brolin, which I really <laughs> like. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, and, you know, there's Sunny D and Polly D, right? Also, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Polly Walnuts. That's right. Uh, or mention badgers. We've we had a couple sure. a couple good badgers or really, reptilians. Really, just yeah. make us laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're in twenty nineteen. It's it's a crazy year, and things are just going to get stranger before they level out. 
That's so if right. They do. If they do. And you can also find us on Twitter where we're Conspiracy Stuff. On Facebook Regular, we're Conspiracy Stuff. And uh, on Instagram, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. And you guys have some That's handles. right. Yeah, yeah. you can, you can uh, see very in, – <laughs> until I get disappeared at some point, you can find uh, various global misadventures uh, on at Ben Bullen. My, my misadventures mainly stay relegated to the continental United States. Uh, but you can find those at uh, How Now Noel Brown. And mine, I have one that I just haven't put anything on yet. It's just sitting there, and I think I'm only—I think I'm only friends. What do you call it when Instagram followers? I'm only following my wife right now, which yeah. I probably shouldn't if it's going to be official account. I don't know how these things work. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Matt, you're adorable. <laughs> uh, I do want to give one shout out though to some folks on our Facebook page. Here's where it gets crazy. Who are telling us that our new email address was getting kicked back to them? Uh-oh. We used to be conspiracy at howstuffworks.com, but we changed that. Uh, we changed that to a different address, uh, which we'll we'll give at the end of the show. And we're we're checking on it to make sure it works. So if you if you feel like you've emailed us and it's not getting to us, then send us contact us one of those other ways. Uh, there's another way we mentioned at the top of the show. You can you can call us. We're one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Give us a call. Leave us a message. Again, all the other rules apply. Make us laugh is the best. But tell us what you want us to talk about. Tell us what you're doing. Hopes, dreams. How, yeah. How do you mm. listen to the show? With just some silly thing that we can talk about. Your blood type. Your social no, security no, number. No, a list no. of your fears. Stop. <laughs> uh, also, if you if you don't like any of that, uh, if that's not quite bagging your badgers, we do have an email address. Uh, go ahead and drop us a line. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. 
With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. 